ECO Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report. For WFHB, I am Cynthia Roberts. And I'm Frank Marshleck. And later in the program, environmental correspondent Zero Rose speaks with Bill Brown in the second part of an interview with the Eco Architect. In today's segment, they discuss the cost-benefit analysis of solar energy, addressing the price compared to fossil fuels, financial incentives available, as well as state and federal government policies relating to electrification and the transition to renewable energy. And now for your environmental reports. IndyStar reports on an important development regarding coal ash. The state is allowing AES Indiana to dump more than 1 million gallons of water contaminated with harmful coal ash pollutants directly into the White River every day according to Indiana environmental groups who call the approval process a contradictory shell game. Indiana regulators recently renewed the utilities permit for its Eagle Valley plant in Martinsville. The environmental groups claim that the permit violates a federal rule meant to help prevent and clean up coal ash contamination across the country. The Hoosier Environmental Council along with the Conservation Law Center, is now challenging the permit with the Indiana Office for Environmental Adjudication, arguing that it actually enables the spread of pollution. Quote, I'm sorry, but pumping contaminated groundwater into the river shouldn't count as cleanup, end quote, said Indira Frank, the director of the Environmental Health and Water Policy at HEC. Critics claim the utility is skirting the rules by pumping water contaminated with coal ash from wells installed on the facility to stop pollution. But then AES Indiana is running that is running that water through the plant's cooling system before dumping it into the river. Kim Ferrano, Ferraro, sorry, with the Conservation Law Center at Indiana University said, quote, there is a contradictory shell game being played here, end quote. The Indiana Department of Environmental Management, the agency that approved the permit, said the renewal was issued, quote, in accordance with all requirements and provisions of the Clean Water Act, quote, and considered applicable affluent limits. And AES Indiana said it meets all the applicable, excuse me, requirements and that it's lawfully discharging under its permit, quote, AES Indiana, including its Eagle Valley Generating Station, takes pride in its compliance with the environmental regulations and permits, end quote, utility spokesman Kelly Young said. Eagle Valley began operating in 1949 as a coal plant. It introduced a lot of coal ash, nearly 3 million cubic tons of toxic waste. 
A byproduct from burning coal, the ash contains a dangerous mix of heavy metals and toxic chemicals such as arsenic, boron, lead, and mercury. Indiana has the most coal ash ponds of any state in the country, and nearly all of them are leaking into the surrounding waters. This conflict between industry and environment is common in Indiana. Exploitation and profit are the paramount values held by the legislature. Indy Star reports the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency air monitoring near the site of a major fire in Richmond has found multiple toxic substances, including asbestos, hydrogen cyanide, a compound used as a chemical weapon during World War I. The EPA has conducted 24-hour air monitoring and sampling at the site and a neighborhood surrounding the 175,000-square-foot my trading my way trading warehouse since the recycled plastics in the building went up in flames on april 11th the agency said it found debris containing asbestos in neighborhoods surrounding the warehouse the epa said air monitors detected the presence of hydrogen cyanide benzene chlorine carbon monoxide and volatile organic compounds within the half mile evacuation zone the agency said the collected samples to the sent the collected samples to the laboratory to learn more about the extent of the contamination. The Wayne County Emergency Management Agency has since lifted the evacuation order for residents living within the evacuation zone, but the chemicals detected by the EPA could potentially cause a series of health problems for residents. Life expectancies in every Indiana county are available for 2018, and it is clear that something has been going on in Richmond for years. The life expectancy in Wayne County is 74.3 years, or about four years less than the county average in Indiana. A question that we could not answer is whether plastic was burned at the recycling plant prior to the fire. If plastics were burned, there's the likelihood that the combustion temperatures were too low to destroy toxic materials. A just-published study predicts increasing risk of extremely high temperatures at many places around the Earth. Temperatures as high as 120 degrees Fahrenheit are even possible. The study by researchers in Britain identifies which places are most at risk. According to the study, these include economically developed places like Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, and Luxembourg, plus the region of China around Beijing. But they also include developing countries like Afghanistan, Guatemala, Honduras, Papua, New Guinea, that are more likely to lack resources to keep people safe. Other areas at particular risk include Far Eastern Russia, Northwestern Argentina, and part of Northeastern Australia. The study was published last Tuesday in the journal Nature Communications. The Earth has experienced temperatures over 120 degrees during the Jurassic period when dinosaurs roamed the Earth. Atmospheric carbon dioxide from volcanic eruptions was two to four times what we have today. The International Agency, Energy Agency reports that carbon capture is still very attractive to the fossil fuel industry because it makes possible the continuance of burning fossil fuels. What is the cost of pairing burning of coal with carbon capture compared to solar or wind? First, it should be noted that carbon capture applications do not all have the same cost. Capturing CO2 directly from the air is currently the most expensive approach. 
Some CO2 capture technologies are commercially available now, while others are still in development, and this further contributes to the large range in costs. Carbon capture has been practiced at two power plants, and one of those has been shuttered because of the high cost of carbon capture. Achieving deep emissions reductions in heavy industry, concrete, steel, chemicals uh, production, can be challenged for several reasons. But carbon capture is relatively advanced and cost competitive option for dramatically cutting the CO2 admitted during the production of these essential materials. It can be more cost effective to retrofit carbon capture to existing facilities than building new capacity with alternative technologies. In the case of concrete production, where two-thirds of emissions are from chemical reactions related to heating limestone rather than burning fossil fuels, Carbon capture is currently the only scalable solution for reducing emissions. And in the iron and steel sector, production routes based on carbon capture are currently the most advanced and least cost low carbon options. For power generation, solar and wind are still much cheaper than carbon capture. The Coca-Cola company, PepsiCo, and Nestle came in as the world's top plastic polluters for five years running, according to Break Free from Plastics' latest global brand audit report. Since 2018, global cleanups have been carried out by more than 200,000 volunteers in 87 countries to identify the companies with the most plastic waste in the most places. Coca-Cola came in first place. What is ironic, these findings were revealed as the top polluter at the UN Climate Change Conference COP27 in Egypt, where Coca-Cola was serving as a sponsor. Quote, instead of allowing companies like Coke to greenwash their image, governments need to compel polluters to invest in reuse and alternative product delivery systems that avoid the problem in the first place, end quote, said Vaughn. Hernandez, Global Coordinator of Break Free from Plastic. And now we go to Zero Rose with part two of his interview with eco-architect Bill Brown of Indiana University's Environmental Resilience Institute on the financial case for how going solar in Indiana saves money and makes sense for families and institutions that choose to think long-term comprehensively considering the trade-offs involved with conventional utilities versus ultra-efficiency, geothermal batteries, and renewable power infrastructure. And uh, how about the state of uh, federal grants and uh, tax rebates and uh, some of the rollbacks in, in policy? in Indiana regarding net metering and things like that. You got anything to say about the state of how encouraging the systems are on making it more affordable for people? Well, there's a few things that we can touch on there. One is that since Christney was opened up, the cost of PV has gone down 90%. And the cost of their utility bills would have gone up by 33%. So, and it made sense then. I mean, um, that library was built for less than the typical cost per square foot of a library in Indiana. And uh, so again, it was like, um, I thought then that, okay, this is the way everybody's gonna do buildings now because we just showed that 
you can do this and it's affordable and it's not rocket science and anybody can build it. It's off the shelf stuff. Uh, it's real simple. You do geothermal, all electric and um, add solar. It's pretty simple. <laughs> um, so it's gotten simpler because the price has gotten lower and there's, there's something called uh, Sawyer's law where every time you uh, double the capacity, uh, double the number of panels that you're, you're building, you reduce the cost by 20%. And we've been doing that over and over and over again for 10 years. So the cost of solar keeps going down like this. The cost of utility grid solar or grid electricity keeps going up. So the decision seems to be easier all the time. The state is not helping by doing away with net metering, but it still makes sense. I just um, installed solar at my farm and that's on a rural electric where there never was any net metering and it'll pay for itself in less than 10 years. So um, that's still a pretty good investment. And uh, it's it's one that uh, people are still seeing the, the logic of that investment. And, you know, I think even people that don't install solar are looking at electrification because you can see where things are headed, that uh, combustion is pretty 19th century technology. And the further you get away from combustion, the better are you in terms of health and safety and uh, electrification seems to be the future. It's um, heading towards marginal cost and um, it's heading the right direction, definitely. So I think there are things the state could do to encourage more solar, um, but I think solar is going to continue to increase in terms of installation um, for a long time to come. And we're seeing on the industrial side, on the large scale solar, that um, the economics of that are even better than small scale solar. So for those folks that maybe don't have a rooftop that's facing in the right direction or a rooftop that's shaded or they're renting, uh, I think community solar and large scale solar is going to begin, become more important and it's gonna to continue to uh, make the grid more efficient and more renewable energy. So I encourage all of my clients to go full electric in their buildings and to anticipate the future, whether or not they plan on installing, installing solar panels anytime soon. And uh, with some of those, those grants to do with like the Department of Energy or uh, kind of tax rebates or other foundations or organizations that, you know, like funded that library and Kristen? Yeah, in my current role working with the Environmental Resilience Institute, one of the things we are looking at is how to encourage communities to take advantage of this new federal grant money that's coming down the pike. Um, there's two major opportunities. One is the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, and the other is the Inflation Reduction Act. And both of those include uh, major incentives for solar and the Inflation Reduction Act has um, a number of incentives for solar, including a 30% tax credit. And uh, interestingly, this time around, even if you don't pay taxes, if you're a, a nonprofit or say a, a university, uh, you can get the 30% in some other form and uh, not necessarily a tax credit. So there are direct pay rules now that allow you to take advantage of those incentives. 
without paying taxes. There are other incentives that sort of pile up on top of that. If you are in a uh, an energy community, or if you are in a uh, former coal community or current coal community, there are additional incentives for that. And um, so we're we're looking at how these things can pile up and and become very attractive. There's a the Rural Energy for America program is another program that offers loans and grants for uh, rural businesses and agricultural operations. Those can be up to 75% of the cost of the system, and you can get up to 50% of the cost of the system in the form of a grant. So, and then you can also add the tax credit on top of that. So that is an extremely attractive opportunity that we're trying to help people through that process. And um, we will have a webinar on that coming up uh, soon to tell people more about how that process works. And are there advantages to working with uh, institutions like a library? And I see you've done public schools. Do they set that up um, based on projected utility costs that they would otherwise incur as they're doing long-term budgeting? Well, I do think it is important to look at the life cycle cost of a system and how long is it going to last, how long is it going to pay off, uh, what might happen to the cost of other forms of energy in that lifespan. For example, um, you know, next thing I'm going to add at my place is electric vehicle. So if I'm charging my electric vehicle instead of buying uh, fossil fuels, uh, that will accelerate the payback of my system. So what, how does that work for a small business or an agricultural operation? Are there opportunities to save there? But for a uh, library or a school, one of the, the biggest issues they have is their operating budget. And if, if their operating budget is being chewed up by the utility bill, that's money they can't spend on books or staffing or keeping the library open longer. So, um, Libraries and schools have been particularly keen on trying to find grants and other opportunities to fund solar or uh, just a more efficient building because that lowers their operating costs and then they can spend that operating money on books and staff and teaching and learning instead of um, you know sending it off to the utility company. So that sort of conversion um, of that operating cost using hopefully uh, grant money or donations of some sort is very important for schools and for, for libraries for that reason. For a business, obviously, um, if you can obtain grant money, it accelerates the payback. For a business, you also have rapid depreciation uh, if you're paying taxes, and uh, that can really add up in a hurry. So I think solar doesn't really make sense if you don't look at all of the tax advantages, you don't look at the ways that you're paying yourself back. If you uh, just do a straight up comparison, um, you're probably leaving out some very important parts of the story. So uh, I urge people to do a complete analysis of what the total picture is and how that's gonna pay back over time. And again, if if there are policy changes at the state level that would bring back net metering at some point or uh, have other incentives that will continue to accelerate 
this uh, very fast growing business in Indiana. And um, if not, I think the business is going to continue to grow, uh, but at a slower rate and fewer people might take advantage of it. But I think the writing is on the wall and uh, renewable energy is here to stay. It's cheaper than fossil fuel sources and it's getting cheaper all the time. So yeah, some of the naysayers point to the life cycle of the solar uh, equipment that, uh, you know, they, they are dealing with issues of how to recycle it. Um, it, it what, what is the general lifespan of the solar equipment? Um, and, you know, lining that up with the payoff. Well, generally you can expect a 25 to 30 year lifespan of a system. They tend to be warranted that way. And um, at the end of life, there are a number of recycling companies that have sprung up over time. And I think we're going to see more of that to take advantage of the fact that um, these can be disassembled and reused, or they can simply be reused uh, by folks that are don't care about the fact that they're only getting 80% of the original power output that they may have gotten originally with new panels. So there is quite a market that's springing up with used panels, uh, refurbished panels. And then um, I think the last resort is to taking everything apart and uh, breaking things down and reusing those components. But I don't, I don't see a trend where many of those are ending up in the landfill because of the value of the components that uh, are making up those materials. And um, I'm, I've, used on a couple of occasions um, bifacial panels that are glass on both sides. And um, those have a couple of advantages. One is that they can pick up reflected light. And in the case of Christney Library, that has a, a reflective concrete slab. So the light that's reflecting off the slab is hitting the back of the panels that are also generating electricity, not as much as the front, but those bifacial facial panels can pick up energy from both sides, but they're pretty easy to disassemble and reassemble. And you've got those two large sheets of glass that can be reused so uh, or recycled. So I think um, there have been a lot of ways to try to kill solar over the years. Um, one of the first ways was to say, well, what's the payback on that? And you get that all the time with an investment in solar, which I guess is a a good question to ask and that that answer keeps getting better all the time so uh, but i always used to ask people what's the payback on your in-ground swimming pool or that uh, bourbon bar in the basement uh, you know we we spend a lot of money on luxuries that don't pay us back at all it's kind of nice to have a luxury that pays you back and um, one part of that luxury now i think that a lot of people are looking at is that you can charge your own battery backup system. You can use the power from that battery backup system at night or when the power is off on the grid. So I think for safety and security, many people are creating their own sort of microgrid so that they can maintain their power uh, no matter what. And they can keep talking on a Zoom call like this no matter what. And um, they can find ways to keep more of their Power that they're generating so they don't sell it back to the grid at a discount. And uh, batteries are still expensive. I think as batteries get cheaper, we're going to see a lot more of that. And, um, you know, I look forward to partaking of that technology at some point in the future as well. 
For Eco Report, I'm Cynthia Roberts. And I'm Frank Marshallek. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we are all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you will need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. Hike Trail 5 for an A to Z lake hike at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, May 13th from 10 to 11 a.m. As you hike around the lake, you'll search for all things from A to Z. It will be amazing what you find. Meet at the Lakeview Activity Center. Enjoy a wetland bird walk with Wild Birds Unlimited on Wednesday, May 17th from 7.30 to 9 a.m. at the Bean Blossom Bottoms Nature Preserve. Join Ken Keffa and Heather Ray from Wild Birds Unlimited in Bloomington for a guided nature walk through the wetlands. RSVP to sycamorelandtrust.org slash events. A bird watching for beginners class is being offered at Leonard Springs Nature Park on Saturday, May 20th from 7.30 to 9.30 a.m. The hike will include several stops where you will look for birds. Binoculars and field guides will be available. Sign up at bloomington.in.gov forward slash parks. The Indiana Nature Conservancy is offering a wildflower walk at the Hitz Roadhamel Nature Preserve in Brown County on Saturday, May 20th from 10 a.m. to noon. You can celebrate Endangered Species Day while enjoying the hills and ravines and be on the lookout for oak regeneration, wildflowers, and songbirds. A Kids to Park Day is taking place at the Fairfax State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Saturday, May 20th, beginning at 4 p.m. The day includes an osprey watch while the children learn all about the ospreys. They will practice with binoculars and hike along the lake shore to view an osprey nesting platform. The event is for children's ages 6 to 12. Sign up at bit.ly forward slash k2p dash 2023 dash osprey and that wraps up our show for this week eco report is brought to you in part by mpi solar a bloomington business specializing in solar hot water solar electricity and solar hot air systems MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Juliana Daly. Today's news feature was produced by Zero Rose and edited by Noel Herhusky Schneider. Juliana Daly assembled the script, which was edited by Zero Rose. 
Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Cade Young and Noelle Herhusky Snyder produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Cynthia Roberts. And I'm Frank Marshalek. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.